And when I looked closer, there was a, a Sasquatch face on the other side, and uh, it was looking right back in at us. Staring back at me is a silhouette of a very, very giant monkey. An intriguing discovery is being investigated in a community east of Seattle. Someone came across a lengthy trail of extremely large footprints. They are up there. Welcome, everyone. You've tuned into the Nicola Valley Bigfoot Podcast, a place where your encounters are told. To share your encounter and to be on the show, email me at nicolavalleybigfoot at gmail.com. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Back in the 90s, I was actually gold mining and a dredge underwater, uh, gold dredging underwater. And uh, I got into it for a few years and I never actually uh, owned the truck. Old miners would bring my equipment out every summer for me because I couldn't haul in the dredges because they're as big as my vehicle sometimes. And um, in 97 in July, I had to drive in early wait for my equipment to come in the next morning and I was on the south fork of the Greenhorn River. I was at the base of it actually. And uh, I got in there, I set up my tent, a very very small tent actually, it was just a pup tent. In fact I'm a type of person I'm just so used to used to be a type of person <laughs> that I would just throw a sleeping sleeping bag on the ground with a small fire next to me. Oh boy. I made me something kind of quick to eat and then I, I drove in from uh, uh, Southern California and um, it was uh, went to sleep probably about 8, 9 o'clock that night and about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning um, I'm in it I'm in an ancient riverbed where the hydraulics were back in the 1800s where they did bucket dredging, hydraulic, and, and there's quartz gravel everywhere. I mean, it's just white, white out there. And uh, the canyon I was in was like a bowl canyon, turned, made a sharp left at the top. And about 12, 1 o'clock, someplace around there, I don't know exactly what time it was. Uh, so to understand where I was at, the the sides of these canyons are all gravel and erosion happens all the time. You hear rocks moving all the time. It's just erosion. It took me a few years to get used to it, actually. But like I said, about 1 o'clock in the morning, 1231, it was pretty close to that, I'm pretty sure. I was woken up by a large sliding, sounded more like a large uh, piece of rock sliding down the side of the hill. And the tent I had was just a pup tent. I couldn't even sleep corner to corner. It was so small. And I didn't put a raindrop on it, or, you know, a raindrop on it. Um, so I like to look at the stars at night through the screen. And when I heard the noise, I'm listening. And then I'm like, you know, that's kind of odd. So I got on my knees and I could see through the top of the top of the tent is uh, has a screen all the way around you can see all the way around and I was looking up up the canyon where the noise came from just sitting there on my knees and the next thing I knew I seen a black object object come around the corner and it went to my right it's it's left to the almost to the other side of the corner and then the next thing I know it turned to my left it's right and started coming down the canyon. I thought it was a bear. I mean, bears are normal out there. I've seen so many bears, it's unreal. But um, it kept coming down the canyon, looking at it. And I can, it's like I said, the quartz is in the uh, all over the place. It's about 85% quartz. So even if it's pitch black, you're going to see something against the white. And then it got about. 30 feet from my car, that's just an estimate. I've always thought about that. It could have been 20 feet, 30 feet. But it was in between the hood of my car 
and me. And when it got to that point, it got kind of confusing because it was way higher than the head, not a bear. That's when I knew something was wrong right there. I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is odd. It's not a bear. And then uh, it came down to the corner of my car on the front end and just made a beeline right to the tent. I'm sitting there watching this thing walk right at me, and I can't go nowhere. I'm, I'm disabled. I can't run. Like I said, I'm partially paralyzed in both legs, and I, there's no place to go. So I just sat there on my knees, and this thing's walking right into my camp, and it came right up to the tent within three feet away from me. I mean, if, it, if the tent wasn't there, I could touch it. That's for sure. And time stopped. And the my heart was beating so hard. Uh, it sounded like a drum in my ears. Slow beat. It wasn't fast beat. It was slow and hard. I'd probably have a heart attack today if it happened today. But um, it just stood there. And I could see where his eyes and nose and mouth should be, but you couldn't see it, but you could. Yeah. And I was guessing the weight-wise, about 350, easy 350 looking right at it because it came forward. And I haven't seen the side and back yet. And then time stopped, actually, at that moment. It felt like time stopped. And this whole time, I couldn't hear nothing but my heartbeat in my ears. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm frozen. Don't know what to do. And like I said, I don't know how long it stood there. Time froze. And all of a sudden, it made a, its left-hand turn right from me. And it walked across the creek and started walking up the hill, which is just totally amazing because the hill it walked up, is, walked up there's no way possible the man could do it, especially at nighttime. It was just unreal. So fluid, I guess you could say. However, what really got me was when it turned sideways, I seen how massive it, massive it really was. It brought the weight up, probably extra 100 pounds, 450, 500 pounds. And uh, it just blew me away. And the way it moved when it turned, it wasn't a normal movement like human. It was like the animal movement, the full, uh, how can I say, it was more of a fluid movement, the whole body, and starting from the top, going towards the bottom, moving all at once. It was like, it's, it's not human, it's not a human movement, it's animal. And structurally, what I was looking at was the, the uh, structural part was 98% primate. I mean, the build, the width, the thickness, the no-neck part. And uh, it was just well made. I mean, I call it health. I mean, there wasn't a, I could see the edges where the hair was, but there wasn't no uh, places where the hair was messed up or anything. Where I'm from in Tennessee, we call those healthy animals because they're well manicured, I guess you could say. Hmm. Like a, if you see a, a sick fox, the hair is all messed up. Uh, this thing was like manicured almost. It was kind of uh, interesting. But it looked healthy. It was healthy, believe me. <laughs> Very healthy. So I sat there and watched it go up the, across the creek and up the hill and then disappeared into the darkness because as the Sasquatch was going up the hill, when it got up to the top, it was, you could see the darkness from the trees above. And as it was, uh, going up to the top, it would slowly disappear into the darkness. And I sat there for like 45 minutes. I was shaking. I was like, what happened? And uh, I, I was just totally shook up. I mean, I just, I couldn't stop, stop shaking. And then about 45 minutes or more or less, give or take a little, all of a sudden a calm feeling came over me. Uh, some people say, you know, the adrenaline rush is wearing off. It wears your body down. And I just put my head down and went right to sleep. It was like I was totally wore out. 
but it was the cons telling over me when I did that. That was kind of weird. Wow. And then I woke up the next morning, and uh, as soon as I got out of the tent, I stood outside to see how large, how tall this thing should have been. And when I stood outside, I guess it's six four, six seven. It's a, right in there, that that part right there. And uh, it was uh, quite interesting. I mean, it just blew me away, actually. So I didn't even go look for tracks or nothing, nothing at all. I wanted to get out of there. I packed my stuff and went across the canyon 150 yards, 100 yards. And I spent 30 of the shortest time I spent dredging. In fact, I sold that dredge. That was the first dredge I ever bought. And uh, I sold it after 30 days. And I told myself I never want to go back. Wow. After, that was my mind frame. Because those, those 30 days after that, every, every time nighttime came, I was, it was bothering me. I mean, it was just like how, you know, is this possible? Was this a freaking nature? You know, what is this? You know, it's just everything going through my head. You know, swearing to myself, I'll never come back at her again. And it was just nerve wracking for 30 days. In fact, I almost built a bunker on the other side where only thing could come in on one side if anything came. And uh, it, it really uh, took me for a loop. So I spent about four more years. Now, this is not years in a row. This is like 11 years. Summers, up to seven months at a time. I started mining again after that, and I wanted to learn more. Uh, what happened to me wasn't a freak of nature. So I did a lot of uh, scouting around, you could say, or research, whatever they want to call it, hunting for evidence of it. And uh, the first thing I found were Five trees in a canyon, saplings about 18 feet high, and they were right in a row next to right next to the water. And it, you could see where something about eight foot twisted and turned, twisted and turned, twisted and turned, twisted and turned, twisted and turned. You could see the fragment actually in the twist. And for a human to do that, you would take a pipe wrench. And I just looked at that and what got me was that the, the top of these saplings were pointing upstream you know I'll give you a reason why there's something wrong here there's no tree that fell that did that because there wasn't no tree there that fell there wasn't one and also it was on everyone was at the same height the tops were pointing upstream and this canyon when it floods every year it goes 12, 14, 15 feet high real fast after a thunderstorm comes in. It's only like 12 feet across. It's like a narrow, as we call it. So when the water builds up, it just raise, raises. And then when the water recedes, it recedes real fast. So the top of those trees should have been pointing downstream, not upstream. And that's when the first things I found um, looking around is those tree twists. And I, you know, I see a lot of stuff on the internet. They call them tree twists and everything else, but I've never seen anything like this. This is something uh, very odd. And I don't know what they use it for. I don't know if it's territorial or show of strength or I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, it's um, kind of one of those mysteries that everybody's kind of trying to figure out when it comes to you know tree structures or tree breaks or or, or the tree twists, like you mentioned. It's just another mystery with, with these creatures that. You know, you've probably walked by those a million times while you're out in the woods, and you just haven't noticed it. You know, do you know what I mean? It, it's it seems to. No, that that part's true because you know I was never uh, expecting what happened to me uh, to make me start looking all the time. Yeah. At, and I wasn't looking for tree trees. I was just walking up the canyon, basically looking for tracks because you know people talk about tracks all the time, and I just looked up and there it was, uh, five trees in a row, and I'm like. Wow, this is strange. You know, there's nobody that came here and did that. I know that for sure. Yeah. But I'm out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I'm 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 a backcountry gold miner, and that was about a, I would say pretty close to a mile from my encounter, actually. Oh wow. And because uh, I stayed in that uh, 
Canyon for a few more summers. I really didn't want to in the beginning, but I said, well, you know, I got to see if this is a freaking nature that happened to me or something, you know, are these things real? So I kept uh, dredging over the years, and I was up at Oregon Creek a few years later, and I had I drove up on one. I really didn't see it, but I know I drove up on one because I went to the same spot. It was a uh, solar cell phone tower. It's the only place I can get a, a connection. And I had to call. See, I worked in the winter back then, and I'd go out in the summer. I'd spend up to seven months out there. Um, I'd call work, you know, make sure everything's going right. They needed me. I'd drive in for a couple of days and come back. But um, I would... Every evening, I would drive to this one spot side of the hill on the Yuba River. And the wind up there, I can tell you when the wind's going to stop, which way it's going to go, at what time, and when it's going to start. And it's just that simple up there. And uh, the most putrid smell I've ever smelled in my life, I couldn't explain the smell. I've never, I mean, I've spent a lot of time hunting, fishing, everything else, never smelled anything like this. And it was strong. It was putrid. And what I realized was that after learning about what people describe, they can't describe it in one word usually. It's usually one, two, or three different descriptions of the, of the smell because there's no other animal that actually smells like that. Because uh, if it was true, we would know what smells like that in the mammal world in North America. So I could smell the sweetness of a skunk like a mile or two mile away, you know, how a skunk smells sweet. Yeah. A mile or two away, it doesn't smell really bad. I could smell it in that. And uh, I'm like, wow, this is weird. There's nothing dead here. And it wasn't nothing there the night before or the night after. And the the, uh, breeze was going the same way, exact same way. So... I know I spooked one. I know I smelled it, and it was it was interesting because I sat there and just like, wow, this is strong, you know. This is like close. It was really close to me wherever wherever it was. It was close. And then the uh, third thing that happened to me was Slate Creek. Now this was like a hundred and ten mile stretch of the Sierras that I worked in all three places. I ran into something. And in Slate Creek, I, I came in early. The snow melted, melted early. And it came a two and a half day of rain. And uh, you can't put a dredge in the water because it's flooding. So I figured I'd get up. It's, the rain stopped about 2.30 in the morning. So I, I got up about 8.30. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, okay, let me take a hike up the creek. You know, you can. When it's flooding, you can tell where the slow parts are, where gold will settle down from the, the flooding. And I came into an inside corner of the creek. And the inside corner is the slowest part of the river when it's flooding, and all the sand will build up in that corner. And it's all gold. Gold will drop there. That's the reason I was looking at it. And when I was looking down in the sand, I could see these heavy tracks. Couldn't really tell what it was, but the stride was different. It was about three, three and a half feet, easy. So I followed these tracks upside the hill uh, from the sand, and you couldn't see the tracks after I left the sand, about five feet, six feet after I left. Uh, there was about five or six foot of sand in that corner going up on the bank, and once it left that, you couldn't see the tracks, but you could see the disturbance on the ground. Um, you could see where... Once you figured out the stride, you could see the disturbance on each step. It was really interesting. I learned a lot from that. And then it crossed the mining road about, I don't know, 80 to 100 yards up on the hillside. And the mining road is just an old road that uh, Jeeps use and things like that, trucks, that's about all it can fit on it. And this thing stepped on the edge to the middle to the edge and left a print right in the middle of the road. And I'm looking at this print, and I'm looking at the hill, and it's 9 o'clock by then. And I'm like, well, stop raining at 2.30. There's no raindrops on this. So it's less than seven hours old. 
And I'm just puzzled. And I weigh 200 pounds. And believe me, I tried to push my weight down both sides of that and made it about 25% of the depth of the, the print. So it put it around around 800 pounds, 700 wow. maybe. Wow. And that's a big that's a big step. And that was only one step. It wasn't a bear running, that's for sure. So the bear would, if it was running and making that large stride, it would have made more uh, disturbance in the ground. So you can see before that each stride was, you could see a pebble that was kind of moved over and smashed into the, not wet dirt, but damp dirt. And you could see where a stick was pushed into the damp dirt each step. You could see it. And then, like I said, I found the print in the middle of the mining road. And then I looked up the hill, and there's like a little bit of, uh, not grass everywhere, just a little bit here and there. And you could see where it pushed down the grass and went towards the edge of the forest. And, and I went, I, I didn't want to follow it. I mean, I'm out there by myself. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And then it, it was, I, I didn't want to follow it. And the print was enough for me right then to really make me uh, a firm believer of that thing. That, you know, these things do exist, they're here. And probably more common than what we think or move around more than what we think. I don't know which one. Were you doubting yourself after your encounter of what you actually saw? Or was it the oh, footprint? Oh, yeah, the first month. Oh, yeah. First month, I was doubting myself every night. Yeah. And, like, you must have heard of Sasquatch before you had this encounter, you know, before it came into your camp like that. What, what, what did you think before that happened? Well, like I said before, I, I had no problem throwing a sleeping bag on the ground and making a small fire and going to sleep. You know, it's no problem. Anything odd noise, I, I'll wake up. I've had bears walk up right by me. I've had mountain lions walk by me, never seen them. And uh, this was just not right. I mean, it's just something unusual, something that's not supposed to happen. Uh, it's just hard to explain to people. And, you know, I'm a visual person. Uh, I wouldn't have believed it unless it happened. And uh, the track I found. I'm a visual person, a tree twist. I'm a visual person. And I never took pictures or nothing. I still don't. Um, I wasn't out to prove to anybody else but myself what happened was real. And I, and I don't want to, I didn't want to prove anything to anybody. I just wanted to prove to myself that there wasn't no freaking nature and these things do exist. That was my, that was my goal for 11 summers. So you didn't tell anybody? Took me took me the four years. I think a lot of people misunderstand when I say four years. I I thought about this in the past where I didn't tell anybody in four years. Well, I didn't tell anybody in four years. It took eleven years for me to tell somebody, but four years out in the wilderness. I always tell people it took me four years to tell somebody, but actually it was four years out in the wilderness before I told anybody. I think a lot of people probably misunderstood me on that part. Oh, I never realized how I was saying it. They didn't understand that I went out every summer for 11 summers because it, you know, you can't stay out there year round because it, it, some places I go get 20 foot of snow. So, uh, yeah. in the winter, but, um, the guy I told was a friend of mine actually. And he made it easy. I mean, that's what opened me up with him. Uh, Robert Nichols was his name. And he used to work for me years ago. He came out judging with me, and I told him what happened. And he said, uh, maybe I was trying to say hi to you. And I turned around and looked at him, and I said, the hell of a way to say hi. <laughs> and then we started laughing. And I think the laughing part helped me the most um, because he didn't doubt me. He didn't... Uh, make me feel like that I was seeing something else. I mean, it, it, the laughing part, I think, was the part that opened me up. Yeah. yeah. I think you'd be quite surprised how many people actually, you know, w wouldn't dismiss uh, a Sasquatch. I, it, well, at least in British Columbia, I find that a lot more people believe in Sasquatch than don't. 
it's widely accepted that they're out there in British Columbia, at least that uh, they're living, breathing creatures. So it's you'd be quite surprised how many people are open-minded enough to accept the fact that you know there's a creature walking around the woods. Well, I think about 27% of the population, I believe that's the last number, that actually believe they do exist. And there's a large percentage there that think it's possible and the rest of them are non-believers. So um, it might be as low as 22%, um, but it's in the 20s that people actually believe, yeah. which is a fair amount. Of num- uh, fair amount. And the possibility of one living out there is pretty high, too. So um, it's, uh, it's an interesting subject because it's something it's hard to grasp on in the beginning and then once you realize they are real it puts you in a different mind frame oh yeah oh yeah I, I yeah that's yeah. the part that gets you you know like the 30 days I, the 30 days i sat across from that canyon 30 nights just drove me nuts i mean you know was i crazy or did i really see something and was it real or was somebody pulling a prank on me but there was no prank there because the way it went up the hill, uh, there's no way a human could have done that. And plus the way it turned to leave my camp, it was the animal movement. It wasn't a person, a human movement. No, uh, humans don't move like that. It's just the way how it moved its whole body to turn. And it was like a motion, one just full motion, like stark on the top, going down to the bottom, turn. And that's why I tell people a lot of times that, you know, when you watch these videos, watch for the motion. Just don't watch the video, watch the motion. I mean, I, there's videos people say that are not real out there, but some of them may have a different opinion because of how they move. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's hard to put a video. You, I've never put a picture up or a video of anything I've done or seen out there in the wilderness. Never once, and you won't see me do it either. Yeah. And the reason why is because uh, the way people do people on videos, you know, I I wrote an article about what happened to me, a small article, being three feet away from one. <laughs> people, some people say there's no way possible. And I'm like, well, you're not there. Um, I was by myself. You know, you live, you have your department and that non-believers and we have our own department and believers so there's nothing i can't make people believe but i've talked to hundreds of people over the years hundreds in fact i got two calls last week from people um very interesting conversations i don't tell people about because they don't tell people either uh, i leave those conversations quiet yeah yeah, for sure. You know, these these are the type of people that want to tell somebody because they haven't told anybody. Yeah, it's funny. I get I get an email probably once or twice a week from random people, and they don't want to come on the podcast. They just want to tell me their story or what happened to them. With oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. it happens quite often. Like it just people. I think they need the reassurance that they're not crazy or, or what they saw is exactly what they saw. So I understand. I get that quite a bit. Well, I felt the same way when happened to me. Um, I was like, you know, is, is this possible? Is this real? And, you know, what's going on here? You know, I was doubting myself for a little bit there. And the next summer, you know, I, was, I mean, during the winter when I was working, I was debating about going back out. And I'm like, you know, that really did happen. I need to find out if it wasn't no fluke in nature. That's what I wanted to know. And if it wasn't, these things do exist. So yeah. I uh, kept going, kept going, kept going back out. And uh, I had old miners out there tell me stories that just blow you away. These guys live out there year-round. One guy was up there for 35 years, 34 years. Flat-nosed Bob, he's dead now. But he lived up there in the Sierras for over 34 years, I believe, before he died. And they'd tell you stories. And other miners have been down there for over 30 years during the summer. We'll tell you some wild stories. In fact, uh, one I can tell you, uh, Brookshire was his name. He was a, a hardcore miner. 
Larry Brookshire, and it was on Slate Creek at the China Bar claim. It's a famous claim, actually, from the 1800s. He was there for 31 summers, and he didn't know I had an encounter. I used to dredge on his claim a couple of summers, and I asked him one night, you know, uh, you've been down here for over 30 summers. What's the scariest night you ever had? And I figured bear story or cat story. But he, uh, he liked to sleep by the creek without a tent. Actually, after 30-some years, he had a single uh, mattress bed down there, <laughs> of all things, next to the creek, because he liked listening to the creek and looking at the stars. And uh, he was, like, not scared of nothing. Nothing. He's a ex-oil worker, oil rig worker. He, I mean, this guy was scared of nothing. And he told me one night he went to bed and this thing, this is how he said it, this thing walked up on me and stood over me for the longest. He don't even know how long it stood over him and he could hear it breathing. And that's the difference in my encounter. My heart was beating so hard that I couldn't hear nothing except for my heart beating. So I didn't hear it breathing. It was close to me. If I, if my heart wasn't doing what it was doing, probably could hear breathing it was so close but however back to larry he said it stood there the longest and said it was the longest night he ever stood there he stayed up the whole night after he walked away got up couldn't find no prints in his camp because it's all hard dirt in there and uh i looked at him i said larry i've known you for a while you always put a 44 magnum on your chest when you go to bed he had a chest altered and uh and he said, why didn't you shoot it? And he looked at me and goes, if I didn't kill it in the first shot, it would have killed me. That's how big it was. And uh, the tracks I found on Slate Creek, track I found, was about a mile and a half, two miles from his claim, actually. Oh, wow. And it was large. Yeah, it was large. Like I said, 758, 7,800 pounds easy. So, you know, I don't know if it's the same one. I don't know if they stay, have their own territories. I mean, I think they're territorial, and they stay in their areas. I don't know if it's 100 square miles or 400 square miles or whatever. Um, Sierra is a, a big place. so. Yeah. But he, he didn't even know I had an encounter when he told me the story. Then I told him about mine. Do, do you think that's why it came into your camp? Uh, because it was curious, you know, this, this new person is in its territory? Yeah, do you think that yeah, had something yeah, to do with it? Right. You hit that right on the nose. And that's what I finally realized. It was just curiosity. That's all it was. I'm the one who got all shook up. And that thing was cool as a cucumber. I mean, it had, <laughs> it had no worries. It, you know, it could do anything it wanted to me. But I think it was more curiosity. I'm glad it wasn't daylight because I wouldn't want to look into the size because that'd probably be more fearful. I'm glad it happened at nighttime and I could see it structurally. And then, like I tell everybody, I, I'm looking at 98% primate uh, structurally, muscle-wise, thickness, everything. And uh, that's, I have to stay at that. A lot of people said they're not primate, they're forest people. Uh, a lot of people say they're some type of lost human in a human tree or whatever. Um, I'm a hundred percent believer primate. Other than it's bipedal, and the toes are close together, not like the primate, and also the hands and the fingers and the hands are like close together, not like the primate. Other than that, it's primate to me. Yeah, I call it wooded. Yeah, Sasquatch has pretty much changed your life. It's fair to say that. Oh yeah, it does. Don't believe me. It puts pure God in you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know that fear. That's what happened to me. <laughs> I, I That's and I, it put the fear of God into me. Yeah, yeah. It really did. Craziest thing ever happened to me in my life. I mean, I'm from Tennessee. I've done coon hunting, sleep on the ground, didn't sing hunting for three, four weeks at a time. Never worried about anything. And uh, until that night, I changed my attitude about the forest. Do, do you think, and this is just speculation at this point, though, but do you think that, you know, you're the one that you encountered possibly could have been related to the one that your friend encountered, you know, or, or maybe a clan in that area? Yeah, well, I don't know about clan. I think a male, female, and a juvenile or two. 
I think that's about the most. But some people say they see five, you know, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm a visual person and I read everything I can on Sasquatch. Um, it's, uh, most of the times it's a single or two of them or three of them. Every once in a while, somebody will say five or four, uh, but it, it's not common. So I think it's more of a, the word clan would mean more than uh, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine. Uh, I think it's just a, a pair with a juvenile look. Oh, so I think the I think the male is the uh, is the outlook. It overlooks uh, anything that's going to happen. Yeah, so you, you think it's just smaller family units, maybe three or four at the most? Yeah. I, 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 I've come to that conclusion, but I might not be right. Nobody's right, I think. Well, somebody's right, but yeah. we don't really know. Yeah, yeah. And I think that'll be debated until, you know, we actually have <laughs> living proof type of thing. So, you know, and that's... Well, the, the thing of it is, if we can learn, to, you know, if we can study them, like uh, we hear them, we can hear them, what I'm trying to do right now, is that if we can find them, and stay with them for a while in their area and tell how large a territory is and hopefully find another one and see how large their territory is. And this way, you can map out the forest in any state and figure out territory, how large the territory is, and you could probably give an educated guess what the population is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you really dove into the research after, you know, your encounters and and really becoming open-minded to to the Sasquatch, to the point now you have some projects on the go. And I want to ask you about this because we just, for the listeners, we watched a clip before we before we began recording, though. Now, you have a project called We Can Hear Them. Can, can you share information about that with us? Well, uh, I've never heard tree knocks before. And uh, I was with a gentleman from out east or Midwest, whatever. And as usual, I'm, you know, I'm on disability. I'm poor. I never had enough money to do anything. And uh, I bought a bunch of choke cans. I was going to do something, bring another gentleman down. And this guy had recording systems, and he would put mics out, and I'd help him put them out and pick them up and everything. And I got to hear tree knocks uh, for the first time, actually, because I'm always on the river. When you're on the river, you don't hear things. And what I, what I noticed about the tree knocks, they were consistent in sound. And these were different places. I got to hear five different uh, tree knocks that they were recording. And I asked him, can I hear them all in a row? You know, can I hear them all? And consistency was the weird part about it because they all sounded the same tone, same consistency and sound. Uh, it's kind of hard to pick up a stick and hit a tree and get the same sound. And uh, to me, it's like, you know, if tree knocks are real, they use a certain way to make that noise. It's like uh, hearing a voice. Okay, I know who that is. Um, I, it, it just blew me away. It really did. So my question was to the person was, how far away was that sound and couldn't answer me? And then which direction did that sound come from? I couldn't get an answer because you really can't answer that question when you put mic microphones up. Um, so I, I realized when I got back home that if I could figure out, well, actually, I realized it up there, but if I could figure out how to find the source of the sound, how far away it was, and which direction it was and everything, I could uh, locate them real fast by using triangulation with microphones. Not just three or four of them, I'm talking about 40 microphones. Um, I can cover about 400 acres with about 40 microphones, all wireless systems. And this way, when I hear something, I don't care what it is, I can tell you pretty close exactly where that source of sound came from. Um, it took me six months to figure it out. You ever heard of a shot spotter? Uh, no, you're going to have to help me on that one. Well, they use them in the city and military for gunshots to locate where the source of the sound came from. 
and that was my first spot. Let me look into that. And they start about $30,000 a piece. And I even had to call a computer science lab from the university here. And he couldn't help me either. And I'm like, okay, how do I do this? So I built my own system, and it ended up costing me $750 for each unit. Oh, wow. Ten, ten units, I'll have 40 mics, and it's all wireless. And um, it'll cover, give or take, a little 400 acres. Depends how the terrain is. And also, if you use drones, you want terrain that you can get into and see most of the ground, not all of it, because you can't all the time. Um, a lot of people say, I've been looking at from the air studying for 11 years now, or 10 years, 11 years, actually 12 years, what I'm talking about. Um, if I can get there in 60 seconds or less and park the drone someplace until something comes up, I can, I can tell the guys flying the drones. In fact, there's six drones, not one, but I have four that go out at the same time. And if to circle the area, come in all four sides from where the source of the sound comes from, we got a better chance to see what was down there that made the sound. Wow. You know, if, it, if it's a quarter mile away, I can do it probably, yeah, probably 20 seconds, maybe uh, 25 seconds. You know, that's, that's pretty good. What an innovative, um, what an innovative way to, to, to get some research done. Holy smokes, you're really putting some effort into this. Well, I had to figure out a strategy because you can't just fly drones all night long, you know. So what you do with the other two drones, if you get on something interesting, you start a relay system and you have 10 batteries for each one. So this gives me over six hours fly time. So this gives me time to look at what I'm looking at for a while. So that's the problem with uh, drones is you're limited on flight time. And if you get on something, you can lose. If you're using multiple drones at one time, it's a little bit harder to lose unless it gets under, underneath a really uh, thick canopy. But if you, like I said, it's all about terrain. Don't work a place you can't see, see the ground. So these things live in all types of terrains. Yeah. And especially these canyons, you know, I can reach in with the system I have. I can reach into these canyons or forests and listen. And if something's running through there and I can hear it, I can actually track it by sound because sound travels at a certain speed. And if you have many mics, it's actually 1.3 feet per millisecond on average. It depends on the humidity and the, uh, yeah, humidity is thick there, but it's, usually 1.3 feet. So actually, I can go to a football field and set it up in four corners and I can actually um, move over three feet and, and notice the difference on the milliseconds that moved over left or right or forward, just, just the way the speed of sound works. And these uh, shot spotters, they use in the city for gang violence and, and shooting. So the police know exactly what block to go, what street to go, and everything. They've been using them for years. So I built it from that idea. And, but it started at my first phone call of $30,000. And I'm like, no, nope, ain't going to happen. I'm poor. <laughs> ain't no way. So I started figuring out how can I do this. So I added on more stuff, got electric, uh, uh, wireless mics. And that gives me about... A 600 foot, no, let's see, two, four, about four to 500 foot spread on each unit. And that'll cover about, uh, I can cover, like I said, it's about the terrain, by the way. It's how the terrain sets. If there's a hillside on the other side and there's a dip and something happens down there, kind of throws you off or an echo will throw you off. But oh, yeah. the more mics you put in, the more mics that you put in, the more accurate it is. So I can point 40 mics down. These are like parabolic, but they're not. I actually uh, adjusted the parabolic where it's a wider parabolic. Um, I can 
gear to the right and left a lot more than a regular parabolic because the parabolic when you point it at something and you move it away you're not going to hear it so i had some shipped out of texas and made the way i want and uh, i just cut the edges off and it gives me a wider span where i can pick up the sound so this way i can pick up more sound than just pointing in a direction a lot of people use parabolics of them uh, discharge but that's only directional mine i can cover the way i'm set up i can cover my uh, whole area where i'm looking at like the forest wall i can reach into the forest without being there in the canyon i can reach down into a canyon eight nine hundred feet a thousand feet i can listen down there and see what's going on down there or hear what's going on and i don't uh I believe these creatures are slope creatures like mountain gorilla. I think because what a lot of people don't understand, humans are flat leathers. We're either on top of a mountain or on the bottom of a canyon. It's easier. Yeah. Uh, and also, these are not trail animals. They don't follow trails all the time. They'll cross them, but they won't follow them. They might stay on the edge of it to ambush deer or whatever, uh, but they won't stay on the trail. And uh, staying on the side of the mountain, uh, the way I look at it is, look at every place that we don't go. Then you start looking. So you you get a sound. Let's say you put this all in practice now. And you get a a couple of tree knocks. You release a drone. So what what do you have? Like night vision or infrared? Or or how is that going to work? Yeah, thermal thermal cameras. All thermal. This is all being documented. You're, you're filming all of your your findings and. Oh yeah, it'll be documented. Yeah, we just the, the teaser you watched. We're trying to film the pilot in Canada in July uh, for the show, and the re- and another reason this should be done is because you know these shows are reality shows, and I want to show people what lives out there. My goal. You know, there's not a Sasquatch around every corner every time there's a noise. I, I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. That's the most crazy, craziest thing I ever heard. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. <laughs> not all the things that go bump in the night are, are Sasquatch related, but, you know, sometimes they are, but not, and not too often. No, I mean, that's the reason why you sit and wait. Yeah. I've only hit it three, three times in my whole life with a stick, and I've never hollered for one. And for me, I'd rather hear it first. Um, and record it and go to that spot and say, okay, what made this noise? And the flip side of this whole thing is that I'm able to show the non-believers it's not a Sasquatch if I find out what's hitting, making these noise, or I can show the believers, yes, it is a Sasquatch in uh, tree knocking. Tree knocking would probably be the golden sound I'd be looking for. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard uh, several of my in my in my local area here. I, I've, it's not uncommon, but we we've heard them as well. So, oh yeah, and you know we can see see the thing with this. I am very mobile with this. I can move in a day and set it up in a day, and I can move from one canyon to the next. And plus, I can leave mics out in other places, other canyons, other flats, whatever, and have people go through the recording the next day and say, "Oh, we got an active area over here." So we can move and then move everything in that direction. Yeah, wow. It, it seems like you really have a, a a solid plan going here. Do you have a time frame? Do you know when you're going to be, you know, executing your plan? Well, the uh, pilot we're trying to film in uh, Canada, and uh, by Winnipeg, outside Winnipeg, someplace. Um, trying to get it done. This pilot done. See, TV doesn't work like you pay for it and put yourself on TV and do everything yourself. The pilot is goes to the uh, producers, executive producers, and they pick up the show. So I, I the Falcon Project was a total disaster for me. I was the founder of that. And you know, I had a contract with ABC and you know, there was no money involved, just signed a contract, locked me out for nine months. And uh, at the end of the day there was no funding and zero funding for it. And, and that was a big drone, actually. It was flight for six hours and air propulsion. But that was just a total disaster. It, it, it just, uh, it was wrong. 
it was the wrong way to do it. Um, it would take a lot of financing to make that possible. And when you're trying to do stuff yourself, it makes it much harder. It makes it way harder. You know, you got a guy on disability like me trying to make something happen, and uh, at the end of the day, there's nothing there. In fact, I made 11 cents a day for seven years. Oh, boy. That's where, that's not, I mean, that's what I brought in, 11 cents a day. It's not what I spent. So um, it was just totally uh, heartbreaking action. Yeah. Yeah. I even had a bunch of people go out and found out there was no money at the university or nowhere. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going on false promises no more about money. So uh, when I do something now, the money's going to be there. That's the only way you can do it. Because two years ago, I was $5,000 short. And I couldn't uh, finish what I was doing, couldn't pay anybody. And that's a problem. You know, I've always wanted to pay people. I felt like they need to be paid if they go out or taken care of, and that's my problem. Uh, everybody else, they they do it on their own, and they take it out of pocket, but I, I feel like people should be uh, compensated for what they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, it just it destroys you. It destroyed me for like five years. Yeah. Well, I hope so. this really works for you, because the concept that you have, the idea that you have is very, very fascinating. That's a I haven't heard anybody go with the sound aspect before. It's always been, you know, a visual with a camera yeah. and thermals and, and whatnot. But you're actually going from a different angle on it. So I, I really well, hope this works. What I what I tell people now is stop looking, start listening. You have better luck. Yeah. And, and for the listeners, I, I will leave a, a link to the uh, trailer in the podcast description. You guys should check it out because I think this, I really do believe that that this project has a lot of promise and I really, really hope this gets off the ground for you, sir. Well, everybody likes it that actually looks at how it's being done, but people really don't understand how I'm doing it. I mean, um, you would have to see it working in progress to really understand because you have to, you have to park all the drones in one place and you just wait, you know, in this way, the, where you park the drones has an advantage over where you're listening. It covers everything that you can hear. A drone can make it there. So if I do one square mile, I'll make sure the drones can make it anywhere in that square mile. But, you know, it's hard to do a square mile. I think about 400 acres is a fair fair, a fair number because uh, the square mile is 620 acres, I believe. Uh, but 400 acres is a lot of land yeah. to cover and you know, nighttime. I'm see. I'm not the type of person who runs through the woods in the middle of the night with a camera and a flashlight and everything else. I'm not that type of person. Um, there's there's no way that ain't gonna happen. Well, I, I um, think you know previous TV shows uh, kind of have proven that 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 type of research doesn't work. Well, it's not about the research; it doesn't work. It's about the reality show part. That draws the people. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Well, I didn't want to say it, but <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and that's, exactly. That's what happens. It's all. It's all about uh, numbers. Yeah. Bit of, all about numbers. Yeah. And you know, if you can't get the numbers, it shows a failure, and they're going to take it off. Yeah. But sure. people do want to see things out there. You know, they're tired of uh, not seeing anything because they don't get to see the animals out there. Yeah. They get to see the people running through the woods, and they get to see something every once in a while. And that's about it. But uh, anything I hear, if I can get to it, and if I can see it, I'll show it to the people. I think people will be more happy to see things. Yeah, I think that would help a lot of, of non-believers really, you know, get on board with, you know, the, the, the fact that there's this species in our forests, not that far away from us, by the way. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, I live in British yeah. Columbia and I can drive less than 30 minutes and be in a good territory where I know they are. Uh, you, you can hear them on a nightly basis. So it's not a lot of people are privy to that or really want or a lot of people don't really care. Actually, Well, actually, I was very lucky because from my mining experience in the Sierras, I have so much land up there. I mean, not mine, but access to open land, canyons places where people don't go 
where I go, they're not mining, hiking, or fishing. So uh, before I let you go, William, I got one more question. How come Winnipeg? How come Manitoba? Was there something that drew you to that area? Well, there's a production company up there that's interested in what I'm doing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it works. You got to do a pilot. The pilot's not the show. The pilot is what gets you the show. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, because filming is expensive. I mean, it, it's not cheap. It takes a lot of people. Yeah. But I'm trying to limit the camera people. I don't want it like these other shows where uh, there's a cameraman with every person. Um, which it doesn't have to be because most of the footage is going to be the drones. And uh, what I do is set up uh, cameras, uh, video cameras onto the laptop. You can see when the sound comes up. And uh, this all can be put put together into a show. Instead of showing everybody that's out there that's working, see, most shows are about the people, not about what they're doing. I mean, they think in their mind it's about what they're doing, but at the end of the day, it's about the people, what they're doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And it's just totally, uh, I mean, it's okay. People like it. Don't get me wrong. But I'd rather let people see things. I want people to see the animals out there. If I have a bear going through the woods, I want to show it. If I have a deer running, going crazy out there, or a mountain lion chasing a deer or something, and if I can hear it, I'll show it. And like I said, you know, it's like pulling a, a slot machine. You'll hit the jackpot sooner or later. Well, sir, I wish you would hit the jackpot with this project because I'm really, really interested. And you're going to have to keep me updated on how it's going for you. Believe me, people are always interested in new ideas because there's no rules in this field of work. There are rules, actually. Hit trees, scream, uh, shine flashlights through the woods. Use thermal cameras on the ground. Those are the rules. Um, there, and to me, there's no rules. I think there's an open, open uh, way of research. And basically, like I've told people over the years, if I ever get this done and it works, and I can actually see them and study them for a little bit, and if it makes money, I want to give the money partially to the university start their own class in this field of work in biology and give them a stepping stone into how to study it. Give them that head start. Um, that's one of the things I always wanted to do because I'm 63. I'm not going to be able to do this the rest of my life. And I think they should be studied by professionals. I really do. But once you lead the way and you find a way, you can give them a path how to do it. See, I don't, I'm a no-kill guy. Yes, me too. Me too. Uh, I well, think... the thing is, what I what I encountered is very. Uh, uh, how can I say? A very magnificent animal. You know, if there's not a lot a lot of them out there, I mean, I know people want to see one to prove they're real. You know, it's the only way you can do it, which I don't think is true. I think there's other ways. I know people that have been around them for years on their properties or wherever. Uh, they call it habitation. Uh, I kind of believe in it. And I kind of not believe in it, but I believe in it. And so I just talked to a gentleman just a while back, 25 years. Um, I'm not going to tell you where or who or what, but he's had to deal with them for 25 years. Great conversation. It was really interesting. And another guy, I'm not going to tell you where or anywhere, um, about seven years. So, you know, I, I think they pass through all the time in certain areas. And they don't stay in one place all day, every day, seven days a week, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. But uh, I think they just come through. They follow the food chain. You know, they don't they don't kill everything or eat everything in one area and go to the next. They just move around. Yeah. yeah. Indians are a perfect example. If Native Americans are to listen to them, they always said they lived amongst them. And the Indians always moved around and followed the food chain. So. That should tell you something right there. Absolutely. 
Well, William, this has been a, a very fascinating conversation. I want to say thank you for, for coming on the show and, and sharing this information. I'm really, really rooting for you, man. I'm really hoping this works out for you. Well, I hope it does, too, because I think it's the fastest, best way to um, see what's going on, really going out there, especially tree knots. You know, it's a give or take. It could show the non-believers are right, the weather is right, or believers are right. You know, it, it, it's either side of the field. Mm-hmm. And for me, I mean, I want to learn more. I mean, that's all I want to do is learn more. Me too. The rest of it looks a lot better. Well, William, you think outside the box. You're a little bit unorthodox, but I really, really dig it that you're coming from you're coming to research from a different point of view, and I appreciate that, sir. And I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I really, really appreciate your time and, and your insight. Thank you no, so no, much. No, no, I appreciate you letting me. But yeah, you're gonna have yeah. to keep you're gonna have to keep me updated on, on so, what your uh, findings are uh, when this pilot's gonna come out. Uh, I'd I'd love to know more about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and for the listeners, I will put a link to the teaser in the podcast description. So go check that out. Uh, okay, William, I appreciate it. William, thank you so much again. I appreciate your time tonight, sir. Thank you so much. And we're back, everyone. We are back to pull the pin on this one. But before we do that, we got to give a huge thank you to William for coming on the show today. Uh, William, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing not only your Sasquatch encounter, which in itself was very, very fascinating. Another case of a curious Sasquatch. <laughs> um, but also your very unique plan uh, to implement for your Sasquatch searching. Um, wh- what did you guys think? I mean, to have an area set up so that the second a noise is generated within the forest, you know, a few seconds later, drones can be deployed to see exactly what was making that noise. That, that sounds like a great idea. I mean, and, and like it or not, William did have a point. You know, walking around the forest with camera crews and, and large groups of people are just not working. I mean, they're entertaining. It definitely is entertaining. I'm, I'm watching it. Um, but are they bearing fruit? Mm. No, obviously not. We're still talking about the mysteries of Sasquatch. So, <laughs> uh, so I, I think this is a really, really good idea. And you know, good luck on your pilot, William. I, I hope it gets picked up by somebody. You know, somebody in the right place, within the right frame of mind, in the right position, can give you that big break that you're looking for. Um, for the listeners, though, me and William spoke quite extensively after we finished recording, and uh, you know, he, he's really been trying to get some kind of um, TV show that shows actual evidence, whether it be Sasquatch or not, for for the, for a few decades now, and uh, I, I think this is the way that he's going to do it. So uh, good luck to you, sir. Let's keep in touch though, because I would like to have a follow up with you and see how this works out. Well, I think that's about going to do it for this week, guys. Um, let's get this out of the way. Uh, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, I can be emailed at nicolavalleybigfoot at gmail dot com. That's N-I-C-O-L-A, Bigfoot at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to get your story on the show, let's talk. Uh, if you want to talk about William's idea, by all means, send me a message about that as well. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts and what you guys think about this whole thing. Um, but yeah, so until next week, guys, I got another great one for you. But having said that, I will see you guys all next Tuesday for all new fresh episode for you. Uh, until then, I will talk to you later. Bye.